And we're uh, going to get going through the book of Proverbs uh, once again uh, through this series. It's been awesome to go through this book and just get to uncover some of God's wisdom for our lives, for our faith throughout this book. Um, so today we're looking at Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24, which we have here on the screen, which says, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. So today, as we're going through, kind of hitting the big points of the book of Proverbs, not every proverb, but the big points, we're looking at friendship. And this has been so amazing for me to get to learn more about friendship. There's so much I didn't know and so much wisdom from the Proverbs on friendship. You know, to me, it's like uh, some people have described the book of Proverbs and the wisdom in the Proverbs like God's blueprints for life. If you're building something and you have a set of instructions, the Proverbs are like the fabric of society and the fabric of life that the wisdom that undergirds every good thing that God created um, when God created the world, he created it with wisdom, and that has gone forth throughout time with with wisdom, the things that we need, the essential parts, the schematics, if you would, of, of how we live and how we interpret the world around us and experience the world around us. But when it comes to friendship, it's it, it almost came across to me like something seemed missing. It's like if you're putting together uh, Legos, like my daughter's birthday it was yesterday, and she's putting together Legos this morning, and she said, there's a piece missing. It's something that comes across as urgent or startling when something that, that should be there isn't there. And so friendship, as we look through the book of Proverbs, um, is such an essential part of life. It's such an essential part of the infrastructure that we're made in, and yet sometimes we look at this thing that's supposed to be there and we wonder why it's not always there. Or, you know, maybe there's some screws loose or just, um, you know, it's not the way we thought it would be. Friendship is one of those things. Um, you know, if friendship is such an important part of life, why do we experience so much loneliness would be the question that we have before us. Friendship is essential for us. I think it resonates in our heart. Um, not only in the statistics that we see, but we see an overwhelming amount of loneliness around us. I don't know if you've experienced that. The pandemic has, exp uh, has revealed a lot of that, exposed some of that. Um, but there's a lot of loneliness. We were made for friendship, but oftentimes we, so, we fall so far short in, in actually experiencing good friendships. People that we can trust. People that we can let in to our lives and grow with. But today... We're looking at this proverb and we're looking at what God's word has to say about friendship from an incredibly hopeful perspective, an incredibly helpful perspective on what God truly intended for us to experience in friendships. And even though we've lost so much of that, how to recover that and how the gospel um, not only brings that puzzle piece back into the, the bigger picture of our lives, but then vivifies that, makes it come up to life, not just brings it together so that we would have a complete life, but that we would have a complete and living life. And friendship is such an important component of that. So let's get started in that. We were made for friendship with each other. I'll start off, I'm going to have three points today. 
and I want to lay the groundwork on why friendship is essential. Um, it's because we were made for each other. We were created and hardwired by our very instincts in our hearts as individuals and even collectively as a society to know and love and to be known and to be loved. That's our relationships together. Um, and so, like I said, uh, the wisdom that we see in the Proverbs is the blueprints that kind of designates just how important that is, right? Um, and it's a result of God's superior wisdom for our lives. It's not just by, like, survivalism that we need friendship. It's not like this uh, hierarchy of needs that we need friendship. It's because of God's superior wisdom. The way that he created us, he put it into us that we need relationships with each other, that we need friendships with each other. And there's a whole spectrum of relationships, and friendship is such an important part of that. It's at the higher end. We see this in the Bible all the way from the beginning. God created Adam and Eve. He created man and woman in his image and in his likeness. And then when he created Adam, he, he created everything perfectly. Everything was ideal. Nothing was tainted by sin or, or anything else. Um, but when he created Adam, he said, it is not good that man would be alone. And of course, God went on to create woman um, in his image and likeness as well and bring Adam and Eve together. And this was before sin entered the world that Adam had been created, but it was not good that he was alone. So yes, this tells us a lot about marriage about man and woman, but it tells us a lot too about relationships and friendships in general because uh, marriage and family goes on to create relationships around us and friendships for us to enjoy. Um, so um, I, I appreciate what this perspective um, has for us on that, um, just that instinct that we have in friendship. Even though today we've lost... Um, a bit of that idealism or that perfect state of sinlessness. We've lost it entirely. That nature of ours to need one another was always good and has always remained good. And so a pastor, Tim Keller, says this. He says, helpfully, Adam was not lonely because he was imperfect, but because he was perfect. The ache for friendship is the one ache that is not the result of sin. This is one ache that is part of his perfection. So if anyone here feels that ache for friendship, that's not something that's a problem that you need to cope with. That's actually an element of God's design that is there for us to embrace that need and to correlate with each other and correspond with God in that need. When we miss friends and when we say goodbye to friends and when we see friends after a long time, all of that reaction is intended by God. We are supposed to miss our friends. We're supposed to be overjoyed when we see friends and when we meet friends. That's part of God's wise design for our lives. It's actually an attribute of God. It's part of who he is and always is that we share with him, that he made us relational. God is one God, okay? But as one God, he exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who live and exist as one interrelational being who is God. All right, so um, 
God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they're all God and they're all in relation to one another and to us. Uh, the Trinity is an amazing concept, a little bit hard for us to understand, but that's what makes God holy. He's not us. He is other than us. Um, and part of that, though, that corresponds with us is his relational being. It's in, like I said, the blueprints. That's what's been passed on from God to us. It's like why my children have some of the same mannerisms that I have. It's because it's been passed on. So we are relational because God is relational and he made us like him. He made us like him. And we share that with, with each other and with him. So he created us this way. And from beginning all the way to the end and throughout the middle, that element of relationship and friendship has remained essential. God created Adam and Eve, he walked with them, and he communed with them. Throughout the history of God's relationship with mankind, he's always uh, covenanted with them. That's, that means he's given himself to them through promises for, of his steadfast love. And ultimately, his trajectory is to reconcile us in all of our brokenness back to him. And so, you could say that God's goal in salvation history is that we might be one as he is one and that we might experience something of the inner love that he has in the Trinity. Okay, so the whole scope of the Bible boils down to us as believers in Christ, reconciled to God the Father, that we would be one just as he is one, but that you and I together would be one with him as well, just as he is in himself. So, here we come to Proverbs 18:24 though, and this verse sheds so much light on that element of friendship um, and, and some important factors in here. It says here in the ESV translation, which you can put there up on the slides if you want, um, or find it in your Bible. Proverbs 18:24 says, "A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother." This can be translated a few different ways. The New King James Version says, A man who has friends must himself be friendly, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And the message, uh, kind of a creative transliteration says, Friends come and friends go, but a true friend sticks by you like family. So there's some different ways. When we're looking at ancient Hebrew poetry, word for word, there's going to be some, some differences. But, you know, if I could boil it down to this, I would say that quality is better than quantity. You can have many companions and still come to ruin, right? But there is a quality of a friend that sticks closer than a brother. True friends will show themselves to be your true friends, especially when calamity or hardship or tragedy comes in your life. It reveals who those true friends are. But first of all, you must show yourself to be a true friend. That's where our, our first point should start. So a helpful comment on this uh, to break down the kind of two elements of that proverb, a man of many companions or a man who has friends must show himself to be friendly, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. In order to make true friends, we must be true friends. We have to make that effort to be true friends to those who we wish would be our true friends. Um, in order to have friends and keep them, we must not only not affront them or quarrel with them, but we must love them, be open with them, honest with them, pleasing to them, 
visiting them and welcoming them. This is a commentary on this passage that I find so helpful, especially by doing good, all good, in serving them with everything that lies within our power. So I just love that because that's like a a big definition of a friendship is someone that you would go out of your way to go above and beyond with. Like, isn't that such a beautiful picture of who we want in our lives and who we should want to be in the lives of others? If you wish to gain affection, bestow it first, right? By bestowing affection, you reap affection. But the second point is that the hard work of cultivating and stewarding friendship is worth it. That's why this proverb says that a man who has friends must himself first be friendly, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Or again, like a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. The hard work of cultivating that friendship, maintaining that friendship is so worth it because you will need that friend and you will reap that reward for your investment, so to speak, to put it in those terms. This commentary says that we may promise ourselves a great deal of comfort in a true friend. See, in our troubles, we expect comfort and relief from our relations, but sometimes there's a friend, nothing akin to us, the bonds of whose esteem and love prove stronger than those of nature. And when it comes to the trial, we'll do more for us than a brother will. So there's a promise for us in this proverb. There is a blessing for us in this proverb about friendship, about our need for friendship and our need to be true friends. This is a treasure that's waiting for us to discover. Like it's, it's right there in front of us, holding so much potential for what you and I need and will need as we encounter life. When you encounter life, you're going to need friends beside you because we know as we've fallen short in sin, and experience tragedy around us and in our lives, we need that friend. And that's why God said when he created Adam that it's not good for him to be alone. Well, Adam had God. How could God be insufficient? And God in himself even saying, it's, this isn't good. It's because God, and let me clarify, God is not insufficient. He is all sufficient. But in his creation of Adam, he said he still needs a human companion and human companionships and friendships in God's image and likeness and design. As one um, writer said, summarized friendships and the blessings that we have before us, um, he says, friendships have our sorrows and double our joys. So it cuts in half the pain that we experience, but it doubles the joys that we experience. When we have friends who rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. So God's design shows us the wisdom of the Proverbs teach us. And what we're going to see is that the life of Christ himself proves to us that friendship is an essential aspect of your life and faith. But Satan and sin, these real elements that have detracted and deprived this good thing that God has created for us, still keep us today from experiencing friendship as God would have us, right? Satan would love to convince us that friendship is not as important as God would have us believe, or that friendship is just too hard or just too costly than God would have us believe. 
we fall short of loving one another in friendship. That's our second point. That first point, we were made to experience, we were made to love each other in relationships through friendship. But the second point that we'll cover is how we fall short of loving one another in friendship. How many people, as, as we've just described, the beauty of friendship and the need that we have for friendship, the blessing of friendship, how many experience that kind of friendship on a weekly basis? All right, we've got some. <laughs> we've got a few. Okay, but we know it's a little awkward to raise your hand in church. But uh, So I'm not taking statistics on this show of hands. But others have done actually uh, proper statistics. Three out of five people feel alone. Um, in our world today, three out of five people feel alone. That trend is only growing because we don't experience the friendship that we see in God's creation, in the wisdom of the Proverbs, in the life of Christ. We don't see that friendship so present in our lives today. What has happened that three out of five people feel lonely today, that it is such a problem, especially, I mean, not only in our uh, North American culture, but I, I would say it's a, a much more prevalent here today, but throughout the world, loneliness is growing. We have so many Facebook friends, though. We have such a quantity of friends that we've never had before in history. But what this proverb shows, is it's not the quantity of friends, it's the quality of friends, Right? Friends aren't, you know, those ones that put out this long Facebook post and you get halfway down and says, now I know who my true friends are. If you've made it this far, you ever see that? If you've read this far, you're my true friend. Now like and comment and share, right? That's not true friendship. Facebook can't show us who our true friends are. Um, C.S. Lewis commenting, he's a writer, he commented on this, this state of friendship that we see around us. And he said that friendship has become something that's quite marginal. It's not a main course in life's banquet. We've seen it kind of as non-essential. Um, and when he's talking about the different kinds of love we experience, he's like, well, you, you need love to be born and exist. You need love of affection to um, be raised up. But you don't need friendship to live and reproduce. And so we've taken this category of friendship that is so essential from God's design and his word, and we've kind of put it on the sidelines. Friendship has become non-essential. And we've kind of, we can compartmentalize that mentally, but spiritually and physically, well, the truth never changes. Friendship is still essential, no matter how much we relegate it to the sidelines and kind of cope or protect ourselves from hurt even by doing such things. Statistics show us that loneliness is more of a health risk than obesity, a lack of access to health care. Um, it's, it's as bad for your health as high blood pressure. Uh, loneliness actually damages our bodies. Uh, loneliness is as damaging, equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day, being an alcoholic, or living a sedentary lifestyle, right? Um, actually, people who are lonely are 50% more likely to die prematurely than those who are not lonely. So even though as individuals and a culture, we've put uh, friendship on the sideline, well, our, our body keeps the score. We suffer from loneliness. And this has truly become a pandemic of loneliness that we experience in our lives. We live as though friendship is not important. 
but we've been created in God's image and likeness, and it remains true that he created us for friendship. But we've fallen so far, so far short of believing this, you and I included, right here today. Um, maybe not mentally, no one would say, yeah, yeah I, I agree, friendship is meaningless. But we've proven so by our actions. We've neglected to actually live it out. See, friendship is challenging. Why? Because while people are arguably the greatest part of life, they can also arguably be the hardest part of life, right? People make things amazing, but they can also make things pretty hard. Um, and just like uh, that writer J.C. Riley, he said, friendship halves our sorrows but doubles our joys. Well, I, I guess interrelational conflict can even double our sorrows and have our joys. Um, that's what sin does by depriving the good thing that we have in relationships and in friendships. So instead, we put up walls, we hurt each other, we fail each other, we let each other down. It's just part of our nature that we're prone to doing. So there's a sin nature that's deprived us of good friendship on a personal and a cultural level that's deprived of deprived us of this good thing. Um, even going back to the examples I pulled from the beginning of Scripture in Genesis, when God created Adam, he said that uh, it's not good for Adam to be alone. God brought together friendship. He really brought together marriage and friendship. Well, what did Adam do? Uh, they sinned against each other, right? They had children, Cain and Abel. What did they do? They sinned against each other. Cain was jealous and he killed Abel. Um, but it's not just between husband and wife and brothers and sisters. It's, it's between all of us. It's between friends as well, but not just friends. Our conflict and our um, depravity and sin didn't just stay as a conflict between you and I, but between us and God. From the beginning, we, we sin first and foremost against God, the one who created us, sustains us, loves us, knows us, saves us. We're, he's the one that we should respond to in love with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. He's the one first and foremost that we've rejected most of all. And this is what sin has done for us. We've been hardwired to love him. We've been instinctively created by the blueprints of wisdom to know God and love him. But too often we reject him instead. Too often, to put it this way, we take credit when things go well and we blame him when things don't go well. That's our friendship with God when you boil it down. We take credit for when things go well. We blame him when things don't go well. And my honest reflection on this passage, as I've been working through this proverb, and biblical friendship has, has been a realization, a conviction that I've fallen short of being a good friend that I ought to be. I lack vulnerability. I keep people at an arm's length. I don't let them in. Sometimes I don't even know how to. Don't know how to communicate or process feelings in relation with others. This is a part of vulnerability that is so essential in friendship that um, hopefully next week's sermon, whoever's preaching that, is on emotions. That'll help me process um, my emotional relationships. Um, but friendship takes work and it takes vulnerability. I would say to me, like C.S. Lewis said, when he said, friends, friendship is not just a, a main course anymore. It's kind of just something on the side that fills up our free time. That's what it's become for me. 
friends are kind of on the sideline um, that that I try to fit into my schedule whenever it's convenient and whenever my house is clean, right? Because then I have time for friends, right? Only then when I have my things together, then I can invite in friends. But that's not a true friend, right? Imagine knocking on someone's door uninvited and their laundry is all over the couch, right? That's like a sin to do um, in our culture. But no, friend, friendship requires consistency and time spent together and spontaneity. Um, we also lack charity. You could say it as positivity or encouragement, um, being there for the good of the other right? Too often, I confess, I often see friends more for how they benefit or convenience my life or fit into my schedule rather than actually seeing them through true love and respect to whom I would give my whole self, right? Too often, I think more about me, myself, and I than my brothers and sisters around me. So, yes, we've all fallen short. Um, One of the ways I'd say that uh, we can kind of tell how far we've fallen short is what a foreign concept friendship becomes when when we look at the way friendship used to be expressed in history compared to how friendship is expressed now just in what I described to you in my own uh, dysfunctional friendships. Um, The Bible tells us that friendship used to be a close intimate friendship, a relationship between the same sex where um, there was true intimacy and affection, but not of the sexual kind, but just true friendship. And it seems awkward to even compare these two uh, portraits of friendship, the kind of seclusive and reclusive friendship that I experience versus like uh, what Jonathan and David in First Samuel experienced says that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Two guys who loved each other as friends. It's a beautiful thing, right? Um, We even see in the New Testament in John 13, um, John is writing this saying that one of his disciples whom Jesus loved, which was John, was reclining at the table at Jesus's side. And some translations say he was leaning on Jesus's breast, right? He was abiding in Jesus's bosom, right? He was just kind of this bro side hug kind of thing. I picture it, right? But how many men here feel comfortable talking about their guy friends like this? Like holding hands walking down the street would be a bit awkward. You know, if I, I'm not going to do that to our staff meeting, Dwight. Um <laughs> It would be awkward to, to like lean on Dwight as we're eating breakfast. That's, you know, that's not something we do today. Or to say, I'm going to, you know, meet, we're knitted together. My soul is knitted together uh, with a friend. Okay, so, but C.S. Lewis says, on this broad historical view, it's not the demonstrative gestures of friendship among our ancestors, but the absence of such gestures in our own society that calls for some special explanation. We shouldn't ask David and Jonathan, Jesus and John to explain, wasn't that awkward? That's kind of weird. But no, it says, if, if we find that weird, it's not because it is weird. It's because we're weird. We're the ones who are awkward, not them. That was true friendship. That was true friend intimacy and appreciation and love, right? Our society has conditioned us to find biblical friendship peculiar. And I would add this. That contrary to the spiritual discipline 
and the means of grace that is friendship, right? Friendship is a spiritual act. It's a means of grace. It's a way we participate with God. It's a spiritual discipline. It's something that we should do, like reading our Bible, doing devotionals, and spending time in prayer. We should do friendship as a spiritual act. It's, it's not just society conditioning us to find friendship strange, but Satan, who wants nothing more than death, destruction, and loneliness on the rise in the world, around us, and in the church, and in your life. Satan, the enemy of God, wants nothing more than to see this trend of loneliness continue the way it is, with death and destruction in its wake. Who else would be the biggest fan and proponent of loneliness than the one who must hate friendship so much? If you and I have been created in God's image and likeness to be relational and to experience that friendship, and Satan is just the opposite, the antithesis of that, then he must love loneliness and hate friendship. As it stands, instead of people being seen and known and loved, we are lost, alone, and abandoned. God has given us such goodness at our disposal through the relationships we have with each other, through the friends that we have right here in this room. But sin has robbed us of that goodness with individualism and independence. History has shown that we have sunk further into depression the more we climb higher in independence. And the happiest places on earth are the places where communal living, you know, going to the village well together, are still the norm. But as villages have gained access to modern technology, their depression has spiked proportionately. So as our society develops in industry and technology, we have less and less need for each other. Working from home is one of these things that kind of puts this roadblock between us and others. Seeing each other through a screen on Zoom is not the same as spending time face-to-face. Eating lunch together, doing work together. So as computer code and artificial intelligence and self-checkout rise, the concept of friendship goes more and more extinct. It's like a dead language. So we don't even recognize those words anymore. It breaks my heart to imagine three out of five people in my neighborhood thinking that they don't have anyone to turn to, anyone to talk with, anyone who will listen, anyone who will care, anyone who can help. Breaks my heart to imagine that we too in the church have lost such a means of grace that our concept and our practice of friendship has eroded to such a point as this. We ought to be that friend who sticks closer than a brother. We ought to bestow love in such a way that reaps a harvest of love from one another. We ought to experience life the way God intended it for us. But instead, we're at least skeptical, maybe even repulsed by the thought of it. But there's hope. There's hope for us in the gospel. There's hope for us because even though our culture has changed and sin is always present in our lives, it it tries to take away from all the goodness that we experience. Well, God has never changed. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He created us in his image and likeness. He has hardwired us with the blueprints of wisdom to be built with the infrastructure of friendship in our lives. And that has not been lost because he has not been lost. He is with us and he is with us in Christ. So 
like many of the concepts of wisdom that we find in the Old Testament of the Bible, and like the Proverbs like this, we see them take on flesh and life in the gospel. When we get to the New Testament, we see the life of Jesus. We see, oh, this proverb actually becomes true in the life of Christ. It's no different um, as we look for help in the midst of our hopelessness and our friendlessness. The Bible shows us a God who is creator and king, but also a lover and friend. That's who Jesus demonstrates God to be towards us. In the garden, he walked with Adam and Eve. Throughout the uh, prophets, he, he walked with them. He promised his steadfast love through them. And then he manifested his love in the presence and the person of Jesus. So he, that love came down and took on flesh. And that's who we see in Jesus. Um, and the Bible shows us this from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Psalm 25 actually says that the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him and he makes known to them his covenant. There's a friendship of the Lord that we have when he makes known his plans to us. And then Jesus says this in John 15, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father, I have made known to you. And John uh, 15 verse 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. So Jesus is the greatest friend that one could ever have. It sounds so cheesy to say it like that. Jesus is our best friend. Um, but it's, it's in the ultimate truest uh, f- form. Jesus is our best friend. In Christ, we see that friend who, as we saw last week in humility, did not um, exploit his equality with God as something to excuse himself from service uh, and, and from sacrifice to his friends but instead humbled himself even to death for his friends. So Jesus used his godliness for his friends. Christ's friendships in his human life was seen in his love and his time and his serving. When he got down and he washed his friends' feet, he was showing them his love through serving. He was a friend of sinners. He spent time with sinners and he served sinners even in his death. He embraced friendship with us who utterly are undeserving and who in turn continually show ourselves to be the worst of friends to him who is the best of friends. So calling God our friend might seem even borderline blasphemous to say, well, God is my friend, right? But that doesn't make God small to say God is our friend. God actually condescends to us. He comes down to us and makes us his friends through the incarnation of Christ, right? This would be blasphemous if it wasn't true. (laughs) You can't call God your friend if it's not true. But in Christ, we see that it is true. Jesus' own perfect life of obedience to God, his substitutionary death on the cross for our sin, our rebellion, and our independence that we love to wave around. He died for that. There's only one way into friendship with God. And see, everyone wants God on their side. Everyone wants God on their friends list. But there's only one way into friendship with God, and that is through Christ. That's by abiding in Christ and being a friend of Christ. Jesus even says um, that there will be those who come to him and say, look at all the things we did for you. But Jesus says, but I never knew you. And be gone. Right? We can even do things 
for God without being with God. And that's just as far from him, right? We have to get off of the throne of our independence and submit in dependence on him, to his rule, to his reign. But it's hard to accept total grace through faith because we lose all of our bargaining chips. We lose all of our power when we submit to sheer grace by pure faith. We have nothing left to bring to the table except for our sin. But that is friendship with God. And he makes known to us his love. We would not, nor could we, come to God as friend. But thanks to God who lavished his grace on us through Jesus' death and resurrection, he's opened the door. He's even knocked down the walls to get to us. He calls us to come to him and he will eat with us. We get to recline at table with him. He makes us his friends when we turn from ourselves and find life and love in him. That's the peace that we've always been missing. So by the gospel of grace alone, through faith in Christ alone, we will never be alone. You are now fully known and loved and served in every need and abundant grace you could ever hope for through friendship with God by the gospel. So now we get to respond to this. That's now how we get to look at friendship. We have received everything we've ever needed. He restores us, reconciles us with God the Father. He restores us in our brokenness with each other, in our dysfunctional friendships that we have with each other. He restores it. He redeems us, and he sends us out as friends. Now, friendship flows out of God's heart of friendship and his friendship with us through Christ. So, Um, Here's another great quote from Tim Keller. The security of Jesus' love enables you to need less and to love more. So because you have friendship with God through Christ, now that love can flow through us. I found this excellent concept um, in frentimacy as I was doing some research on friendship this week. Frentimacy, it's it's like my new favorite word. Um, it's, It's kind of a weird word, but um, research has shown that actually friendship has kind of a, an equation to it. It's like, um, um, what am I trying to say? I, I, I didn't take science after uh, grade 11. So yeah, I've lost all those words, but it's like an equation. That's my best thing I can say. But anyway, uh, friendship requires positivity, consistency, and vulnerability. Okay. Now let me define that a little bit because, well, Friendship requires positivity. I don't, I don't love that whole genre of positive thinking gets you through your day kind of thing, this shallow concept of positivity. Um, but let me define pr- uh, frentimacy in this equation. Uh, it requires positivity, not just in the shallow sense of like, be positive, um, pour into other people, and, and they'll pour into you. But it actually, every connection that we have with each other starts off on that uh, shared bond that we have being created in the image and likeness of God, right? And so we are created to love each other, to build each other up, even to exhort each other, all right? To remind each other of good news. That's the sense of pouring into each other that is required in friendship, okay? That's how I would define positivity. Consistency, right? It's not just uh, here and there and kind of um, rarely getting to see each other, but regularly getting to see each other is uh, the second part of the equation in frentimacy. And the third part is vulnerability. 
not keeping each other at an arm's length, you'll never make friends. But letting people into your life, opening your life to other people, this is the equation for friendimacy. And as I was thinking about this, I realized that's why CrossFit is so popular. You have such like positivity, consistency, because you're there like family, and vulnerability because you're watching each other be crushed every week. And uh, that's such an, and you're, you're like, you can do it, keep going. You have that whole thing of frentimacy. That's why we, we see this so much. Now, this is just a common grace that we get to enjoy from the blueprints of scripture, right? The blueprints of wisdom that God has given to us in scripture have gone out into every sphere of life. Like it's true of every area of our life. And so it's amazing that people have researched friendship and actually in that research for friendship, you, it just highlights the actual beautiful truths of scripture that we see in God's image and likeness. Um, they're not creating the terms. God has given them the terms for them to discover. Um, but this is exactly the kind of friendship that we need in the church. And that, and I'll say this, that you can't find this friendship that God has created for us in his image and likeness anywhere outside of church, right? Because he re reconciles us first and foremost to him and to each other. And then he gives us everything that we need in the gospel so that we have real frentimacy, to use that cringy word, right? Um, the church should be the place where we encounter the most friendships and is the most uh, friendship-rich context. It's in the church. Nowhere else in the world, when they say your friendships require positivity, nowhere else in the world will you get that but in community with Christ and one another, right? Because it's not just empty positivity. It's actually loving each other the way Jesus intended for us to love each other with our, their best interests in mind, for the sake of the gospel, that's what we truly need. And you can't get that in CrossFit or anywhere else or a knitting circle or, or, or at the bar table. You need that here in, re, in relationship with one another. But consistency too. The church is not just a place, like Evan uh, said in introduction, the church isn't a place, it's a people and we're not just a people who randomly cross paths. We are a family that's been adopted by God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We have been adopted and been created a family. And now we have that consistency, not just on Sundays where we get to see each other um, week to week, but we get to see each other Monday through Friday as well in our city groups and in our change groups. We get to see each other at, at our workplaces and on our way and in our free time and not like C.S. Lewis uh, comment on friendship being on the on the sidelines, but we get to make it the main course. Like this is part of our life. It's part of the fabric of our life is that consistency we have in the church and in the gospel, but also in vulnerability. No one else in the world can assure you and promise you of safe secure vulnerability that we have in the gospel. Like um, Tim Keller said, we have truly received everything we need in Christ so that we can give everything to others, right? We should see that. Now, that's not to say we shouldn't have caution and wisdom in friendships because sin is real, all right? And it deprives our friendships. It hurts our relationships. Um, 
So there is wisdom and discernment and caution in wisdom too. And you can go on a bit more on that too. I'm sure, which we don't have time, y'all, though. Um, But friendships, true friendships, require that vulnerability as well. And we have that in the gospel. We can give everything that we have by the gospel. In fact, a church um, where there isn't a rich culture of friendship is a church that hasn't received the gospel in its entirety. Right? And you could say that about your life. A life where there isn't a rich culture of friendship is a life that hasn't received the gospel in its entirety. Maybe you've accepted it propositionally. You've accepted up here. But part of the work of the gospel is to make our hearts like the heart of Jesus for one another and to the world. So I'm going to wrap up here. Um, We need friendships in the church. All right. We need friendship. We need friendship restored with God. All right. In our worship of him and our our walk with him, that we abide in him, um, that we submit to him. We need friendship with each other that we actually do let each other into our lives, open our lives to others, and be intentional. Um, I would say this, if we're going to grow in our friendships, be present with each other, be intentional with each other, be persistent with each other. You have to be persistent. You have to be intentional because friendship doesn't happen on accident. It's not just going to come to you. You have to work for friendships. And that's what the... Like I said, we have this in the church. So when Evan is talking about the kids' ministry, when you when you look at that through the lens of friendship, you you can grab your best friend and say, we're going to sign up every month for the same week to be friends in the kids' ministry, right? And you get to actually be friends with the kids in the kids' ministry. My son Elijah is five years old, and today he said, I want to be a soccer player because my teacher, Mr. Redwan, said, I'm the best at soccer in my class. So a five-year-old, his idea of the future can be shaped by the words of an adult so strongly. And I'm here today because of the words that have been spoken into my life when I was a kid. So the kids' ministry, they need friends. They don't just need teachers, they need friends. And us grown-ups can be the best friends for the young people in our church. But we need this in our, in our own relationships as well. That's why we have um, change groups. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to recommend change groups um, real quick. That you pair up with two or three other people of your same sex. Three, two or three guys, two or three girls to get together and have that mutual edification, encouragement, consistency of getting together every week or doing a quick phone call or meeting up every other week. And, and that vulnerability of actually confessing sin and professing faith in Christ, building each other up in the gospel. You could call it change groups. You could call it friendship. That's what it is. It's what God gives us. He hardwired us to experience friendship with each other, um, whether that's church, city group, change group, serving. But final point here is we get to take this out to the world. We get to show our neighbors three out of five of which feel totally alone and lost in this world, we get to be friends to our neighbors. Um, There's a proverb. Don't know if I have it here. Yes. Proverb 27.10 says, Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. We get to be that neighbor who is near, who gets to bring the hope of the gospel to those who need it most.
We get to be that friend uh, that everybody needs. Um, two things that we have to offer people, and only two things. We have to offer the gospel of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, and we have ourselves to offer. So let's go and live out this gospel friendship in our lives here and as we go. Let's pray and let's respond in worship. Father God, I pray that you would just continue to unpack for us what true gospel friendship looks like and how you've redeemed and restored us, Jesus, so so that we can uh, glorify you um, in our time with you and our time with others and in our time with our neighbors. Um, show us by your Holy Spirit and continuing through your word to show us what that means, please, God, um, that you would abide in us as we abide in you. I pray that you'd um, wake our hearts in worship today as we do this. Amen.